Well, I do feel like you should know before we get into this conversation, or maybe you know, I don't know, maybe I'm on a do not fly list, but I am like a crazy Fallout Boy fan. You know what? It's funny you say that. I, I tend to get that a lot on these calls. Oh, okay. Okay. Got it. We can, I talk, just, we like, can talk Fallout Boy for sure. If you want. I mean, I mean, like, like, I don't know if I can like express the crazy. So I just wanted to like. On a scale of one you. to 10, like a 14 kind of situation. I have four Fallout Boy tattoos. Wow. Oh my yeah. gosh. Okay. <laughs> so you, so, you're deep. Okay. Yeah. I actually have a plaque in my bedroom. They sent me for being like the, one of the longest running members of the fan club. Oh, Cassie used to die because I had like a fan club card and I would take it to shows. And I was like, I have a card. I like, and people would let you do things. It was crazy. You so. were literally a card carrying member. Yeah, I was a card carrying member. Wow. And I, went, so I remember I went to my first secret show. Cassie was with me in Chicago and I don't know what it was, like an old church. Yeah, it was like a hundred people there. During the Black cool. Clouds and Underdog Tour. That was 2006. Um, yeah. Holy all the things. Shit. Wow. I mean, I've, I have estimated based on what I know other people own that I have the, the, like most complete collection of fallout boy, boy vinyl that exists including one that was only produced 10 copies so wow like, okay well, yeah we're gonna have lots to talk about i'm excited <laughs> <laughs> but there's other things to talk about but i i feel like i had to like get that out of the way because it was making yeah. me a little nervous you know so um <laughs> lil tinny everyone he is here he is the head of streaming strategy and promotion at crush music he is right, based yeah. in new york city are you guys still located near like Washington Square Park? You know, so for the longest time, we were just underneath Union Square. So yeah, kind mm -hmm. of by Washington. Yeah, yeah, really close to Washington Square Park. And we recently, in the last few years, uh, bought a new office. We're by Madison Square Park now. Got so it. We're, kind of a, we're a park-based management company. We love the park. I mean, we are in, have you been to Nashville? Do you know Nashville yeah, well? Yeah, I, I love Nashville. So we have an office in, in Hollywood, California. And then in Nashville, we're in this building called the Bridge Building. And it's like literally physically connected to like the walking pedestrian bridge. So like you can walk out of my office and just like walk on the bridge so it's pretty hmm. cool so we're, we're in the stadium parking lot so it's like a really unique interesting location for the first like 12 years of our company we were in an old car factory so we've been in a lot of cool <laughs> different places you know but awesome. um yes but we're here to talk about your career um i love okay i'm gonna read this from your little questionnaire because i i just i love this and i think it's like adorable um it says that you started trying to make recordings and sell tapes to your neighbors when you were seven years old um you then go story. on <laughs> so you then go on to say that you've been in the music industry for 22 years and i love that like i i love the way you wrote that but otherwise you started touring when you were 16 interning at 20, officially working in 2015. Tell us all the stories. Tell, like, what, yeah. what were these tapes? You, like, were these bootleg tapes? Like, what, what was the situation? Yeah, so I'm just realizing as you read that back to me, I may have gotten a little bit ambitious on the ages as you, as you read back the stats. I think, because I, I remember when and where this was, and I think I was nine. Okay. Um, that's still, I feel So wait, like but pretty. let me, I have to like put this into context because we're yeah. obviously different ages. When you were nine, what, like, mm -hmm. what year was that? So I guess when I was nine would have been 2001, like, uh, okay. yeah. Okay. So Got I think it. like the, the earliest memory that I have of like being interested in commercial music was I was probably, I must've been like five or six years old. And um, at the time, as you guys know, radio was just absolutely king. And as a kid mm -hmm. sitting in the back of my mom's Ford Expedition um, in the, on the North shore of Chicago, where Pete went to high school is where I grew up. Um, you know, I actually like, I haven't been to Pete's high school, but I, I did, we did a show one time and I was like, 
I feel like this was Pete's rival high school. And my artist was like, how do you fucking know that? It might have been. I just, it might I, been. no, it was, I checked it. Um, <laughs> go ahead. Um, but yeah, like, you know, radio was huge in this market in yeah. particular. Yeah. So, and they were breaking so many records at this time, uh, but from radio in particular. And so I was just like so subject to it. And I remember latching on to certain records and expressing to my parents that I wanted to hear them more. And so eventually they would buy me, like at the time, this was 97 or 98. Um, you know, one of the first Republic records had come out. It was called uh, Tub Thumper by the Chumbawamba. Uh, yeah, and, that's our uh, that's our karaoke tune, me and Cassie. Massive tune. Yeah. Uh, and I think that was the first time that I had expressed interest in wanting to buy recorded music. My parents got it for me. And I, it was just, it was an absolute treasure. Like I got I it. I am so excited that it, this like, is... <laughs> This is the song. This is the top thumper. We're very excited. This was the start for me because I I literally, I don't even think I could, I guess I couldn't even read at all or very well, but I I remember like, that's where I first read Monty Lippman's name. Wait, wait, so you were like six or seven being like, I drink a whiskey drink, I drink a vodka drink. (laughs) I drink a water drink, I drink a soda drink. Yeah, yeah. And I asked my mom, I was like, I have so many questions. I was like, how is this band popular? How do you yeah. know about them? How do they get on the radio? How did they get CDs to the store? I had like all these questions that yeah. like, I, I remember where I was as like a seven year old child asking these questions. And my mom was like, well, you know, um, people start bands and they perform and then their friends tell friends about that. She had some like really romantic yeah. answer. But anyway, so fast forward a couple of years and I had been spending all of my time like daydreaming about being a musician, getting CDs, building a CD collection. Mm-hmm. And um, I had become a piano player at this time and a guitar player, not a good one, but I had been practicing a lot. And my dad bought me a four track tape recorder when I was eight years old. Um, and so immediately before I even made any tapes, I printed out, this is how I knew I was gonna be a record man. Like I printed out like a computer paper form and I made a form like name, what recording or song you want, how much it was going to cost you, and like what my address was. I put, I printed them out and I went all down my street and I put these forms in people's mailbox. And this is how I knew I was going to be a promo guy because before anyone could even go to their mailbox, I went, got the phone book out, called them up and was like, hey, Miss So-and-so, just wanted to let you know there's a form in your mailbox and I'd be willing to give you a big discount if you wanted to order a tape. So like all the moms Stop. would be like, oh, and they'd get their wallets out oh. and they'd pay me eight dollars. I'd run back home, I'd get to my tape recorder, and I would like in real time make the tapes that they had requested and then deliver them. <laughs> That's amazing. To be honest, like I mean, you know, we've heard so many stories on this podcast and in you know life, and like I've never heard that story. That that's that's a unique story. I'm I'm a real anomaly. Like, you literally started your own like bootleg record label as a small like most people like i I consider myself an anomaly among like the the children and growing up because so many people want immediately like gravitate towards wanting to be a rock star yeah or a performer or what or the the wife of a the wife of a new kid on the block (laughs) there you go sure that that works too Mm -hmm. but i like you know while i did want to do that at one point i always knew in the back of my mind like they use this term like record man yeah. or record woman. And I always knew that's what I wanted to do and what I was interested in. So I feel very lucky that like I felt drawn to that um, since forever. So were there any like movies or media that you like like romanticize oh the music industry that you like love? Oh my God, Josie and the Pussycats. Yes! You have <laughs> and no idea what you just opened. 
Because it's it, it's so like the idea that a machine, even though they were like yep. the evil ones, that a machine could make a band uh-huh. or make a record work. I was like, oh my god! Like, yes, I gotta figure out yes. the machine. I gotta be part of the machine. Yes. I want to lead the machine. And like, I also love the record. Adam Schlesinger from yes. Wayne wrote all the songs. Yeah, as uh, as Walker. did he for uh, that thing you do. That thing Jesus. you do, oh my, you, you and I are going to do, we're yeah. going to be fine, you and I. Like, gonna, yes. I feel like we're going to test that. <laughs> so, what, so, I mean, I've, yes, definitely. I've got to ask you, though. I mean, this is yeah. like, I have to ask you this. Please. What are your thoughts on du jour? On du jour. Well, although, you know, the turntable hit Backdoor Lover was mm-hmm. a huge success mm-hmm. in some markets. Yeah. Uh, I think I still roll with the, the Josie and the Pussycats record. Okay, okay. Well, I mean, so... They re-released the whole album on vinyl like three years ago, and it came with a small oh, wow. du jour single on vinyl. That is hilarious. Yeah, I have Are that. You yeah, yeah. Well, you know what's funny is so I later because I, I later learned over the course of time that Adam Schlesinger and Butch Walker were like two of yeah the people responsible for so many of the records that I love. And I later got to work with Butch, and it was amazing. And when Adam, I don't know if you know this, he actually died from COVID. Yeah, we do. We've talked about it a lot. Yeah. And also, so he was very instrumental in this band that we were obsessed with called the Click Five. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I, dude, I talked to, by the way, that was, okay, we have so much to cover here. (laughs) My God, I don't even know where to start. But to to finish the first thought, we had Green Day. They were doing a cover series at the Mm -hmm. time, and we had them do that thing you do. Uh, and send it to DSPs amazing. as well, like a tribute to Adam, which was such a great way. I didn't know that. I need to find that. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That thing, like that thing you do, like I would say like Mr. White and that thing you do, like a mix of Mr. White and that thing you do and the kid from Almost Famous. Like I wanted to be both of those humans at the same time. I'm you just, know? Yeah. again, yeah. we're literally overlapping every direction. I have <laughs> the ending quote from Almost Famous stuck to the top of my wall back here. That's amazing. But it says to begin with everything. Should I tell you that like a week ago, Tom Everett Scott liked my comment on his photo? Just saying. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) But also I was going to say, so one time I was at, it was when um, Save Rock and Roll came out and they did like all the Mm -hmm. videos that like went together as like a movie and they like put them all in this movie theater in LA and it was like an event that I somehow begged someone to let me into. And Butch Walker was there and I just walked up to her and was like, Thank you for saving rock and roll. And it was just a moment. It's amazing. There's that. So that's cool. I love that. Like, like I, I get their trajectory. So how did you get, so you grew up in Chicago, obviously. Yeah, I grew up on the North shore of Chicago um, until 2001. How'd you get to New York? Well, I think like most kids move, like my yeah. father just like got a different job. Oh, okay. And okay. we had to move to New York. And I was, I was devastated because I lived this sort of like very quintessential Midwest small town, like mm-hmm. I was, you know, like I described, I was listening to the radio, I was watching Joe's yeah. and the Pussycats, I was playing with Pokemon cards. And I just very much felt like I was yanked out of this perfect yeah. little piece of 90s, like suburban culture. And, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Metropolis is probably not the word, but we ended up moving to, to Connecticut, which is where I grew up, you know, until I eventually went to school and now I live in New York with my girlfriend. So. That's awesome. So did you move to New York to go to school or to like a job? No, I, I went to, so gosh, it's, um, so I, uh, I went to school in Boston, Northeastern. Okay. And I was in their, their business administration and music business program. Yeah. 
Um, but I, you know, I picked it for all the wrong reasons, uh, but it turned out to be an okay choice. So yeah. I actually was, I was, I grew up sort of in the pop rock scene and yeah. we actually toured with the click five, which is what I was going to who, mention. With who? Uh, Who's we? Uh, so I, I, I started a band in high school. It was, I mean, the high school name was white rose, but when we got our record deal, we changed it to call me anything. Do we remember that band? We have to, we, we've seen, we've seen it. We had to, I mean, I saw that band. It's, it's okay to not. <laughs> 55 times in like 18 months. So like, I'm so sure I've seen you when, play music. When Kyle was in the band, did you have Oh, I mean, him? oh, I actually went and hung out with Kyle before they let him in the band to see how I felt. They him. asked us to vet him before okay. they- They asked us to vet him. Kyle, yeah. <laughs> so they I, also, just, like, I just spoke to Kyle the other day because he's producing now. Kyle's so hot. <laughs> Kyle, Kyle is hot. He's hand, that guy, that guy's handsome. His voice is incredible. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. Like who was the who was the first guy's name? Eric. 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 Eric was like he was cool. He did his thing, but then you got Kyle, and it was like Justin Bieber 2.0. Eric you know what I was mean? a dick. <laughs> That's just what it was. was. He? I, he was, I, I he was mean. Eric. He was mean. He was mean to me when I was a fan. They didn't get along. I'm saying it. I don't give a fuck. Speaking <laughs> of great films, by the way. What's it called? Taking oh, taking five. Are you talking about taking five? Okay, here's the funniest yes, thing yes. about this whole conversation. Fantastic so we also have a a radio show called Boy Band Top Tens, and we did this episode called like Boy Band. What the heck? You haven't invited me. On I that know. One? Well, we did we did this episode called Boy Band. We wish we're real, and we had like a member of Together on it. But I feel like we're like hitting all those songs in this conversation, which yeah. is amazing. It's so, funny. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Oh my god, that's um, so funny. Yes, taking well, five. Anyways. Yes. We, you know, so I, I, I was, we were, had just uh, gotten to the end of high school and it was starting to become more real. And so I, as a narrow-minded, you know, 17-year-old male, who we all know those are really smart. Gems of humans. With, mm -hmm. Gems of humans was like, <laughs> I'm going to be the next Jonas Brothers. Like, I don't want to go to fucking college. Like, whoever's going to let me tour and be, play rock star, like, that's where I'm going. That's amazing. And Northeastern was like, yeah, we'll like kind of let you do that if you want. So I was like, dope. That's but so I'm like, but you, did you do like, a, did you like a regional tour with them or like a whole, like? No, yeah, no, with the Click Five, we were, and that, those shows in particular, we, I think we only did three shows. Oh, okay. Only Northeast, that makes sense. And they were when Kyle was in the band and you could tell it was like kind of grim. That's why we were let on. Oh, yeah, probably like towards the end then. Like you're talking like 2006. Oh, not, God, I'm so off. Yeah, not nine were they still yeah. going at nine i, I wow. think like one of the shows we even played was like may have been put on by like a, a charity even yeah it i think like, that might have been dark. when like really i had dark. gotten yeah we what we were strong in like 2005 to six mm -hmm. like super yeah. strong yeah like went with them to trl <laughs> the oh really went on tour with them in europe yeah trl like i don't yeah. even think was around no no yeah. it is now though it's back yeah it's back have you been yeah. back to trl I did. I, I took yeah. Max. I took the Backstreet Boys, which was pretty iconic. So, <laughs> yes. That, you know, I think you've won up to me with the Backstreet Boys. I mean, you know. Fair enough. I, you know, I do love Max. I think he's great. Um, I know he's really he good friends. How can you not love Max? He's really good friends with uh, the Why Don't We kids that we. Yeah. Since, yeah, yeah. Since they were born as a boy band. Really? So yes. you must know um, Christina? Oh, Christina, is like Corbin's ex-girlfriend, Christina? Oh, yeah, they're not dating anymore? No. <laughs> <laughs> shows what I know. Yes, I love her. She's amazing. I had I had a client uh, at one point that was on her like podcast. Yeah, the first artist on her podcast. She's amazing. She always post. I love how she like posts in depth about her nipple rings 
and like why she should have i clearly like, have not checked in I oh yeah check, check in she writes a lot about rings. the nipple ring so yeah i love like really? she's okay. she's just one of the like when i met her i feel like she was what like 17 and she talked like a 30 year old like she just she was like well her shit was together yeah yeah like she runs her really? brand yeah very well i love her 100 percent that's amazing. So moving on, let's talk about what you do every day as the head of streaming strategy and promotion at Crush. Like, like what are you spending your day doing? I mean, I know the answer. Yeah, I just, uh, it's for the question. podcast. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I, I, you know, I think we do it a little differently. Mm -hmm. um, I was one of the first streaming promotion hires in all of the business. Mm -hmm. um, Crush was really had game in wow. that way. So, but it wasn't until like a few years in that we really got it down. So the way that I divide it up now is uh, half the job to me is data. Mm -hmm. So I work with a few people at Crush that are every day putting together data to monitor how our records are performing in the mm -hmm. market. We get that information from some of the places you probably think, you know, everyone mentions chart metric. Everyone knows Spotify for artists, Apple Music for artists. We also have a few of our own dashboards and metrics that we've created. And then the other half is sales. So that's kind of the part of the job that people would presume. Managing relationships with the street, all the DSPs, you know, Spotify, Apple, Amazon are the, you know, the ones that people think of, but down to SoundCloud, Deezer, Audio Mac, Tidal, and even outside of that, you know, music streaming and ride shares, movie theaters, mm -hmm. airlines, elevators, grocery stores. Etc. So, but for me, everyone sort of thinks that my job is is playlist pitching. Um, mm -hmm. When in fact, that's actually at this point, I, I would say it's almost zero of my job. Yeah, because the label's probably it's taking care of that, right? Not only that, it's just not a job that requires any sophistication. Um, <laughs> you know, once you and, and I have no interest in that. Yeah. I yeah. You know, I came. I spent two years working at an investment bank, so I am really involved with data yeah. and numbers, and I, I love watching the market and investing. So bringing that mentality and figuring out how we can use the data to beat everyone else is kind of where Cassie loves all that time. stuff. Do you own Crypto Kitties? Because Cassie does. I don't own crypto kitties, but I'd love to hear about yours. <laughs> I own cryptocurrency. Yeah, no, I just I just sold all my Doge last night actually because it, did you? Do you make I some good money? I did make good money because I bought I bought a while ago, um, and I, I I I I'll put some more back in when it drops a little. It's still on the it's still on the rise right now though. So you're kind of like you're kind of like an internet investor, like you know about trends. On yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm pretty digitally savvy, and I, you know, I actually have a lot of questions for you about, you know, because I think a lot of aspiring yeah. artists listen to us, and you know, people are always like, "How do I get on Spotify playlist?" And everyone just thinks there's a magic. Oh my gosh, it's like the bane and of it, my it, existence. And it, and yeah. I think everyone just yeah. thinks there's like a magical person you ask, and it it puts it yeah. on. So I would love for yeah. you to talk. You know, don't share your secrets, of no. course, but like, explain how important like data is in that process because you kind of have to have a reason to be on a Spotify playlist. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people think that streaming uh, editorial has overlap in how like the radio market used to work. And you, that, you know, historically the music business has been an incredibly relationship based business and you could like get things by knowing people. Um, I'm not going to name names, but like I work with someone who is very, is very senior, you know, is 50, 55 years old, a career music business executive has a daughter that's in music and all she wants is a playlist ad and he can't get it for her. I love that story. And, I'm going to use it all the time. <laughs> and that, I mean, that sum that sums it up. I think, I think best. Um, I mean, data, 
Well, let's talk about like what you're going for in general. I think like people want to be on today's top hits or on pop rising. That's essentially impossible. Uh, short of having like an overnight hit or being part of a TikTok trend that takes off, or that's just playing the lottery. You know, if you're if you're an aspiring artist. Now, it, it, if you if you you know like bring your sights down a little bit, it is possible to get on fresh finds or some of these international starter playlists, but it's all about how relevant you are in culture. Who's listening to your record? Like nobody's just going to add you as a favor. They have, you have to make a great record or it has to be reacting or ideally both. But you know, the, the process, particularly at Spotify of like being eligible for those things, anyone can do it. I can do it as well as the aspiring artist listening. It's literally completing the pitch tool. Now, if you're signed to a major label, it's a little bit of a different story. Historically, the major labels have had ownership stake in Spotify. There was different deals done. They had, you know, a certain amount of exposure had to be given to each partner. But for aspiring artists, there's no magic button. There's nobody you can hire. I would say focus on making great music that overlaps with popular culture and get ears on it. Awesome. How do no, I do that's it? that's great. And I just <laughs> great. I just think everyone's always looking for something, and it's you, you know, you, you, there's there's no there's not really a shortcut. You know, you have to. There's no. There's really no magic button. Yeah. There's really no magic, but, and, and I would be very wary of anybody. I mean, you see it all the time. I'm sure you guys get it in your inboxes. I, I know artists do all the time. Pay $69 for mm-hmm. staying on this play. Like, yeah. I'll tell you right now, here's a fun fact, um, because I used to do this a lot for work. There are fewer than 50 third-party playlists on Spotify that drive more than a thousand spins a day. Mm, that's a great statistic. What that should tell you is even, you know, there, there are, in very, very, very few meaningful third-party playlists. Mm-hmm. And that's not to like dissuade you, but it's like, if you're, pay- if you're paying some fee to some sketchy company that comes through your inbox, I can pretty much tell you 99.9% right now that it's fake. Um, and you're hurting yourself moving forward because you're either going to get blackballed by the DSP um, or even worse, your algorithmic footprint, the algorithm's going to get so confused. Doesn't, it can't, it, it has all these fake listeners, doesn't know mm-hmm. who likes your music. The algorithm wants to help you. They want to serve your music to people that want to hear it. It's like your, the algorithm is more powerful than any playlist you could get added mm-hmm. to, but people confuse it all the time because they think there's like Spotify is this vanity game. It's the only DSP that shows stream count. And people think that if their record exists for a week and has less than a certain number of streams that they are somehow not not relevant. But the truth is, I don't, you know, whoever the aspiring artists are, I don't expect anybody to have any sort of consumption unless there's some sort of notable catalyst. So yeah. much better off to try and put legitimate ears on your record because the algorithm will pay dividends over time. No questions asked. I mean, we've all seen the huge discover weekly boosts or whatever that, you know, whatever they are at the other platforms over time. Yeah. And it's just like too like I mean, you can't cut corners on anything. Like, like you want fame and fortune. Do you think there's like an easy plug and play cutting corners way? Of course there's not. But again, everyone thinks, you know, and I think what's the worst is when you have people that just have money and think, oh, you can buy it. You know, that's, that's rough. That's rough. And it's a hard, it's a hard area to speak to because it's, it's like so sensitive on, on on every side because it's sensitive. Like the artists get really discouraged. Mm -hmm. Um, it's sensitive because like 
streaming services don't want to disclose any information. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, they're walls up. They don't want you to know how the code works. They don't want you, they don't want you to know who edits playlists. They, it's, it's all very sensitive to talk about in general. So I try to speak very high level as to not ruffle any feathers, but hopefully that was, um, that was somewhat helpful. Yeah. But what you guys can do if you're an aspiring artist is like I said, like think about what's happening in the market and who's getting programmed and look inwards and say like, am I even making music right now? That is, competitive like you know i this is an extreme example but i always use this i'm like if you're making like the best polka music ever it doesn't matter how good you might be the beatles of polka but you're still not getting playlisted so you know think about is what you're doing competitive has is what you're doing has it been done before like are you like the 15th like i've talked to like five or six of these artists now like i feel like every early 20s gal wants to be like a Chelsea Cutler or a you know whatever it is and I'm like do you want to be the 15th one like yeah there's 15 acts that are going to get plugged before you so all these there are if playlisting is really your goal your goal is not to make music that is true to, to you there are definitely steps you can take but obviously it should probably be an intersection of both of those things I think that's super fair and, and I think something else that's important for artists to think about is that because of like how Spotify algorithms work, people expect artists to have development time now. Whereas I think growing, you know, when I was a teenager, I didn't expect that I was just served things and I liked them immediately. But I think people expect a a development path because we actually work with, we're working with a group right now. And it's funny because they actually have developed themselves for a long time as musicians and have, you know, have developed themselves, put themselves together. There's actually a bidding war over who was going to work with this group, but everyone's accusing them of being music industry plants because it's like it, the, the, the marketing seems too good. And it's just interesting to kind of like see how much people want to see somebody develop now. You know, they want to see that process happen over time. Um, so, yeah. Which I think is a good positive thing for your, your career's not over if you don't get playlisted on your first song, I think is, you know, kind of point I was trying to get to there. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I, I feel very passionate about this subject. You sort of broach it, but it's like, and if my girlfriend can hear me, she'll laugh at me because I literally talk about this at every dinner, but it's, it's how media dissemination has changed over, let's say the past 30 years. And, and you guys, yeah, you just touched on it and we all experienced it. Like in the nineties, there were so few channels of media dissemination with such low volume going through them that everything that came through them had some level of perceived value, right? Like if you had a record in stores at all in the nineties, you had some level of what perception of being something. You're you know, making, making it. it. Like, yeah. Everyone has records in stores now. Like, you know, my, my friends yeah. as a joke down the hall, the college students have their DJ mixes in stores. Like, Oh yeah. I was like the other, so I was with my nephew who's, who's little and like, we just do this thing where I'll yell. He started saying, beep, beep, I'm a sheep. So I said, Siri, play beep, beep, I'm a sheep. There's a fucking song. Like somebody took this Minecraft thing and made a song. And I'm just like, it's so weird. And, and I just had source. this thought. I was like, and put it in, and put it, you know, just distribute it. And I was like, that's so weird. Cause like, when I was a kid, I couldn't, I couldn't make a song and distribute it. Like, and I just had this moment of like, literally you can do anything. Yeah. You can make anything and put it out. And like, I know that, but it was just this moment of like, wow. Well, that's which really is good and bad, right? Is, because you know. so now there are so many channels of media dissemination that A, all of them are becoming less valuable independently and their contents are becoming less valuable. Like every, like 
yeah. how about like daytime and late night television or and, and even streaming services like for a while hulu and netflix yeah. were like so powerful there's 15 now um yep. radio is the same way like you know there are some markets where literally the only time people are listening to the radio is like between 5 and 9 a.m or 5 and 7 p.m literally and then you know they even have in terms of radio they've removed formats like college radio is not a recognized format by media base anymore it got moved to a different mm, panel wow um triple a has pretty questionable listenership i might get i don't know i don't want to get in trouble like but you know hot ac and pop are still fairly and alternative and in some markets yeah. can be fairly influential but just you know I, I feel um pretty passionate about how the game has changed so now that the barrier to entry is so low and there are so many lanes for media dissemination it's become this and this really big mountain for artists to climb is how, how do you set yourself apart how do you make any noise at all amidst the all this noise and and i think that's the problem that, that you were mentioning cassie is like you know these artists like they wanted these playlists so bad because it's like kind of like one of the great needle movers of yeah. our time at the moment yeah and again i think they have this like magic perception of what that it's the modern means, getting new you know? music friday is like the modern day equivalent of like hearing yourself on the radio for the first time yeah in my yep, opinion yep yep it's kind, it's kind of like that because like being on new music friday like doesn't matter that much but it's like got a lot of eyes on it you know so for like that one yeah. that like one spin like the dj in your home market like yeah. plays you on the radio one time like it doesn't actually matter but your yeah. mom's like oh. yeah no it's true and like you're <laughs> and then you're like on there like it, you know for i live in la so i'm like on at 9 p.m like looking to see who like who made it on that you know like i'm refreshing it to like see who like what there and if our, like our artists made it on or not so I totally get it. It does have some of that excitement. There is a radio show, though. LA's got some great radio. I mean, um, I know Lisa Warden, who I think runs K-Rock. She has a great uh, mix show that I think highlights female talent in LA. And um, there's oh, also Grant. this guy, I'm sure you guys know him. He's called Grant Owen. And he uh, he runs a blog called We Found New Music. But they have a radio show mm, yeah. in LA as yeah. well. And he spins, um, he like puts a mix show together. Also... The Emo Night crew has a as a radio show now. So funny, like it's like it, Emo Night's like such like a They've national thing so now. Well. But like I remember when they were, we used to just go and walk in in like 2015, and it wasn't even crowded. You know, you go every week, and it got to the point where I was like, I don't want to wait in line. But like it was really fun when it first started. You guys want to hear something crazy? Okay, so <laughs> when my band Call Me Anything was like sort of at its peak slash starting to fizzle, yeah. we were like partners with the whole Boston crew, like Boys Like yeah. Girls had just become massive. Yeah. And there was a band called Love Via Dance Machine that was kind of big in the area. And we would all, you know, go to each other's parties and go to each other's shows. It was just like a little a little scene. And TJ Petraka, who is of the Emo Night crew, he's mm -hmm. one of the founders. He was just like a college roommate with uh, Alex, who was in this band Love Via Dance Machine. Mm -hmm. And they would host these parties at their place and after about like midnight or 1 a.m as people started like you know all the girls would leave or whatever it would just sort of turn into like someone would be like oh put stacy's mom on or put like you know put the click five on and that like literally in boston on gainsborough street is where emo night was born like we we started calling oh. it like emo night was like yeah at, at the end of the party when everyone left you would play like blank 182 yellow card yeah. used and then they uh alex and tj both graduated and started their own emo nights 
That's um, awesome. I didn't know that. That's a really part cool of history piece of trivia. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. so fun. That's so, I like that. You, I don't know what we call the Click Five emo. Is that what you just did? Because I'm not giving no, them that. No, but emo night has <laughs> sort of become. They become like an umbrella just for like. Well, and like they were getting, they're on MTV. Yeah, they were on MTV, and people thought that was cool. And I think any like two thousands so. rock driven, like guitar, yeah. like if you have a guitar, yeah, yeah, yeah. they they I mean, play they were like power pop, you know. Yeah, they'll play Born yeah. Pursuit, but they'll also play. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> uh, Wait, what was that band I really liked that like? Something about like the kid, the guy got into Crystal's car. Well, oh, you're thinking, of, thinking uh, of not all American, uh, American Hi-Fi. American oh. Hi-Fi, I loved that band. Yes. I love American. Yes. And that's a book. That's yeah. a Butch Walker project too. And yeah. Stacy, yeah. the lead singer, also yeah. talking about beautiful men. By the way, yes, that that man is handsome. Yeah, um, I always like where he would just put his foot up on the on the amp and hair. just man the cr- his oh, hair yes. was always like what got but uh he's he's the band director and drummer for miley cyrus now oh right yeah a lot of those like kids from that scene all and it's funny a lot of these like old field by ramen kids are all in nashville playing for all the country artists now and it's just it's yeah. really funny it's really funny but i'm glad that everybody still has jobs and, yeah. <laughs> and, and still in music really well yeah. and still in music yeah it's amazing so let's talk about, um, you want to talk about, I'm down to talk about this, the year of Weezer. Yeah, 100%. Let's go. Let's dig in. Well, it's kind of like what we, the like, just like the slang term that we've come up for 2021 because we realized, well, first of all, Wait, Rivers. Do, can you say this? Is this tour happening? The mega whatever tour? Because I, I have a $400 ticket sitting in purgatory. I, I am making no comment on the tour. Okay. Okay. I gotta say far. Like away every every that. few weeks I'll be like, yeah, I totally purchased like a four hundred dollar ticket. Where is like what <laughs> at some point we will all be together rocking out at the yes. Hell Night Tour. I'll be I, there. To Jade's gonna be there. It's Jade's gonna be, gonna be there. Awesome. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we just realized that we had uh so many Weezer events. I mean, we have the 25th anniversary of Pinkerton is coming up. Um mm. also, I mean, Rivers has written two albums that have come out. We had OK Human come out in January, which um, was a kind of like a little bit of a fun prod at the OK Computer album radio had yeah. put out. Um, we debuted it the number, as the number one album on Spotify that week. And the single, All My Favorite Songs, uh, still recently went number one at AAA and is still moving up to alternative radio. So huge success for the band this late in their career. And he was, they were just like, let's do another one. We have uh, the Van Weezer record coming out in a couple of weeks here, which is like their hair metal inspired record. Um, oh wow that's cool that's so we've sort of just been calling it like the but year of weezer let like, me ask you this question i think a lot of hair metal is actually boy band pop music that well it's exactly so the the hair metal scene in the 80s is a carbon copy of what the pop rock emo scene was in the early 2000s just with slightly mm-hmm. different music and different haircuts <laughs> and um, at the core they all kind of have boy band tendencies. They're all boy bands, discuss- with one it. one ballad per record, <laughs> one kind of like really go get them single, yeah. and they're supposed to be pretty. Like it's like they're supposed to be pretty. Yes, emo like started off really authentic, but then became commercialized, and labels tried to monetize with you know the big signings like you know, We the Kings became one of the big ones. Boys mm-hmm. like girls became one of the big ones, and same thing in like the eighties. You had like the really authentic rock groups, and then as soon as the labels found you could make money off them, you had Cinderella and, you know, there was a dime a dozen poison to some degree. Um, mm-hmm. 
trying to, you know, emulate that sound. So, um, you know, it's funny at Crush, like we call ourselves the, the Island of Misfit Toys because we're like leftovers from all the scenes that came together in like a positive yeah. way to, to make something work. And our, our founder, Jonathan, he was actually in a very prominent major label hair metal band in the eighties uh, with Butch and like did the whole thing. And so when he That's saw cool. the emo movement kind yeah. of start to come to fruition, he was like, oh, I've seen this happen before. And he knew exactly how to, to make it work. And, you know, Fall Out Boy turned into Panic, turned into Gym Class, turned into Travi, turned into everything we have now. You're like so. describing my my life cycle, you know? <laughs> Well, there, well, something had to happen when the Backstreet Boys were on hiatus. And so, I fair enough, boy, you know. Fair <laughs> that's what, that's what, like, I feel like all my, all my obsessions are like, okay, well that went away. So what am I going to love now? So you guys weren't, you guys were hard Backstreet Boys, not in sync at all. Cause I went to both concerts. Yes. Well, I mean, yes, we are a hundred percent team Backstreet, blah, blah, blah. And we like in sync. I think Cassie likes in sync better than I did. I probably, but there was I probably a, met you guys. Sorry to interrupt. I probably met you at like a. Did you guys do Aaron stuff? Aaron Carter. Yeah. Uh, no. I mean, I have. For what though? You were never. Well, there's a whole. There's kind of a whole crew around Aaron too. That, that I don't day. think I'm in the Aaron Carter crew. No, okay. I'm more okay, the, okay. I'm more in the Nick Carter crew. Sorry, yes. I didn't. I didn't mean to offend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, I I'm a big Instinct. Aaron Carter fan. Yeah, and yeah. I saw and I saw Pop Odyssey. Thank God, I'm glad I saw it. It was amazing. And then I saw I saw Pop Odyssey. Yeah, and I saw was that 2000. It was the it yeah. was the stadium tour. It was like the huge stage, yeah. and then a celebrity was their final tour, and I saw that too. Yeah. Oh yeah, I went yeah. to the celebrity tour, and I also went to the I want to say the Millennium tour. Yeah, for Backstreet. Yeah, yeah. the best all right. tour of all time. Now, do you remember them coming down on their hoverboards? I do, I do. So let uh, me tell you. So they, did they have super soakers too? No. no, no but, it, but it looked Sorry. like they I should have. But the outfits they looked like they should have. I remember the hoverboards though. So listen, so the hoverboards, I just feel like it's like this like piece of Backstreet Boys history. So two years ago, I have this idea. I want to go to the Grammy Museum and do a Backstreet Boys exhibit. So what happened? It, I think it opened two years ago yesterday actually. And I was like, where are the hoverboards? The hoverboard, when I finally saw one in person is about, 18 inches long and looks like they took one of those like styrofoam coolers you get at the gas station and spray painted it silver. Really? That's what it was. Literally how, it was styrofoam. How did they support the It didn't support. Boards? They were just, they just hooked it to their shoes and they oh, floated. They floated over to harnesses. I see. Yeah. The, the hoverboards weren't like lifting them up off the ground. I can't say that I'm ever interested in being harnessed and uh, no. flown around a stage. No, I'd like to be on the ground at all times. Yeah, like, I agree. I don't do well times. being off the ground. No, no. I don't even like being in a high seat. I'm like, no, this is scary. This is too much, you know. High top table. She's like, I need a booth. Give me a freaking Yes, booth. yes. <laughs> I don't like high top. I like high top tables. You guys want to know something funny? My girlfriend's parents won't eat at high top tables. Like we will go into a restaurant with like an hour and a half waiting and like, we can fit you in. We have a table for you. We approach the table. They're like, no, 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 no. I think my parents would either. We will, I don't think we my parents wait. would either. We are yeah. adults. I'm like, what? what? <laughs> shout out Mary and Bob. If you end up Me, shout out Mary and Bob. I feel like I like high top tables because they cut time. They're close to the alcohol. I'm usually that's doing that's shots, important. That's an important you know, part. but I don't think I'd want to just sit there and like have a full meal 
like if I just want to chill, you know? Right. No, I feel that. You know. I feel you that. Know. So what else, what else do you want to talk about? You have different things on here. We can talk about, I mean, there's tons, you give me tons of stuff. We can talk about the macro music business theory, which I don't even completely understand what that means. Yeah, we got into, we got into a little bit of that, but I'm, I'm always okay. down to, I can okay. go all day on this. Pop punk subculture, which I feel like we've probably touched, yeah. or if you want to go further, and then your passion for the music business, you know, or we could talk about yeah. your artists. I didn't know you guys had Alanis Morissette. That's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, and I got to take Alanis to uh, the Apollo Theater in Harlem, which was awesome. Um, And it's so funny. I'm always like, you know, I'm always like telling my parents, like, you know, just like, not in like a, like braggadocious way, but I'm just kind of like, oh yeah, like, you know, we were playing Fortnite with Brendan today or something. You know, Brendan Urie, and they'll be like, oh, that's cool. And they go back to like eating their (laughs) sandwich or something. But then I was like, yeah, like I went up to Apollo with Alanis yesterday and they were like, Alanis Morissette? I was like, yeah, like, wait, I didn't know you worked on legitimate things. I was like, what? <laughs> like, you know, to that, wow. I mean, to all generations, Alanis is just like a yeah. queen. I mean, she's, like she's insane. one of the only RIAA diamond records in existence, which means they sell, sold north of 10 million, 10 million. In, yeah. in the States. Uh, wow. I think there's only 49 others. Really? Uh, 49 total. As like a, an album. Yeah, we have a handful at Crush. We have uh, Jewels, Pieces of You is one of the Diamond mm-hmm. albums. Um, we, Lords Royals is Diamond. Mm-hmm. Um, Alanis's record, uh, Jagged Little Pill is Diamond. And uh, recently, Train's Hey Soul Sister. I saw, I saw the post. I think streaming is yeah. really cool because I think it gives more people the opportunity to get there one day. It, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, so this is kind of like the macro music business theory stuff I love talking about. Like, as soon as when I saw the writing on the wall with streaming, something clicked in my head because I had always thought about records and record sales as you found out about the tapes. And it was very front loaded, right? Like you put a record out and big spike in sales. And then for the most part, short of like some crazy catalyst, you know, they stayed out, the sales stayed down here forever. You could, you know, you, for example, may have bought a Backstreet Boys CD for $10, but you streamed that CD way more than $10. A million times. Yeah, Yeah. you you probably could have bought 15 CDs with the amount of times you listened to that record if you got a royalty for streaming them. Um, So something clicked in my mind and I was like, okay, wow, the income from a record is going to be spread over a much longer timeline if it's based on consumption. And as records intersect and leave popular culture we're going to see these massive spikes in consumption and like that could not be summed up any better than by what's happening on tiktok right you have tiktok that is making records from the vault intersect with popular culture in a way they never have before and these records that essentially never thought they'd see the light of day again are going gold and going platinum obviously the fleetwood mac example is crazy but even like you know, simple plans. I'm just a kid. Yeah, be, be, become oh, a hit from TikTok. Plan. Like it's it's insane. And and so um, my whole cognition around records and how we monetize them and how we promote them and how people consume them, like literally changed. I you know I I think I I, I like to say humbly I saw the writing on the wall when streaming became a thing and I was like this is something I need to be on. And you know actually before I was at Crush I had founded a a management consulting company, um, not much different than, than yours, but we had an emphasis on, on streaming. And at this time, 
you could actually make a dent with uh, third party folks. Yeah. And we were, we were breaking a lot of records. And I remember like, I kind of like was dipping my toe in the water for different labels and working for all these different shops. And I had finally signed a record of my own and I, you know, put my kind of promotional lever to the test. And all of a sudden we had like a 25 million streamer, which was like, you know, we were kids and 25 million streams is like $70,000 or something. And so I was wow. just like, I was like, holy shit. Like I, it, everything clicked for me and I like understood what was going to happen and how I need to, to navigate it. But so, so how long have you guys had CrowdSurf? It's been a while, right? 14 years. It's insane. And has it, yeah. it when did it become a full-time thing for you guys? Like a sustainable I'd thing? say like, uh, I feel like we were pretty full-time after like a year or so, honestly. We, I mean, we were kind of full-time out. I mean, I didn't have another job once it was an official yeah. company. Yeah, once we were doing it. Yeah, I guess. But, I guess but so, we were yeah, working we at a label. I, I remember the day I signed a contract that paid enough money so that I could quit my job. And that's like kind of when the company really started. Yeah, because I was still kind awesome. of doing some other stuff. Yeah, I think I think we had to like figure out how to make the money, but it didn't mean we weren't working 40 hours or more a week. Right. Yeah, but I remember uh, like I signed yeah. like a client for like $2,000 a month or something. And I'm like, I can leave. You know, like that was like, the, that <laughs> yes. was like the Yo, I am rich now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And like, you know, it went from two of us to then we got one assistant and then we got like, 10 interns because <laughs> that's what we could afford but then it got to this point where probably like year four or five we got we went from two to four to six to eight and it just went and it just like started going crazy so it was interesting and you know we we tell a lot of stories about how um we kind of just took anything that we could in the beginning because we wanted to do the work and do it the best and and mm -hmm. prove that we could do what we did and eventually that led to some of our dream projects. And once we got those, everybody else wanted to come, you know? And, so. and what's your, what would you say like your main product is? Our main product, marketing. But in what, in what capacity? Everything. Uh, so the, the main <laughs> thing we started with is like social channel management. That's like yeah. product number one. Like we were managing people's MySpace pages. So, so doing, an, doing yeah. an audit of people's socials and like. And then like helping them, you know, I, I don't want to say like post for them, but like being like, okay, you know, uh, with the beginning on like MySpace and stuff. Yeah, we were posting for them because nobody cared about social yet, but it's changed a lot right. where it's less about posting for people more about like. TikTok's rolling out this new feature. Here's how you use it. Here's what you should do right. on it. But like people are yeah. actually more involved in making their own content now. Um, so, totally. but we, we, but we've evolved to a lot more services, but that was kind of our core offering in the beginning. And, you know, a lot of people do hire us for channel management. You know, I think it's the best specific term to call it in a, in a lot of different ways still, but we also do mm -hmm. some artist management now, or we're like strategic artist management partners on some projects with other managers. Um, right. You know, there's a lot of admin work we get hired to do. We do a lot of um, like copyright and security and digital privacy work. Actually, like if somebody, like if, if, a, if a picture of somebody's kid leaks on the internet, they'll hire us to like get that, that down everywhere, even if it's like mm -hmm. in thousands of places. So it, we've just, we've developed more services over the years as clients asked us for help for something and there wasn't like a good solution for that problem. And it's kind of, it seems, it seems like perfect, like based on what I've heard from your guys' background, like you guys just knew the market so well being so in love with the music. So I feel like you guys had such good perspective to do that. Yeah. I remember sitting in this office with a guy who was kind of like my mentor at the time. And I still work with now on some things. And uh, he had just signed one of the Backstreet Boys to like a solo Christian deal, whatever. And he wanted me to work on it. So I made 
a proposal. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. And I handed yeah. it to him. And at the time he knew my dream was to be a tour manager, which is very laughable at this point. Um, and he's like, no, you're a marketing person. And I was like, I don't want to be a marketing person. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember that all the time. And I was like, he, he like got the way my brain thought before I did, you know? Right. Um, so yeah. Well, amazing guys. I mean, it's, it's crazy what, uh, what you guys have built. So congratulations to you. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate that. Thank you so much for doing this. I love, I love your stories. I love your, I love your just like analytical brain. Cause I don't have one. Um, and it is great to kind of hear those sides of stories too, you know, cause all, all that matters. And I mean, you know, I think some people forget sometimes that like it is the music business and the business side of it matters and streams matter and we've all got to be able 100%. to pay paycheck and pay our bills. So it's, it's sometimes it's kind of a reality check to some of the people that are young and want to do the thing with the rock stars, you know? And it's like, and there's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> to, to yeah, do all the work, you know, type of thing. So where can people follow you online? Yeah. I'm uh, well, I'm on the Instagram. Instagram. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's at call me underscore will C A L L M E underscore will. Um, I know a lot of people are on LinkedIn. I did like a panel yesterday and I got like 25 LinkedIn messages. I don't think I've ever had one before. The kids that. like so the LinkedIn. I, I guess you can yeah. find me on, on LinkedIn and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always down to, to chat, slide on into my inbox. And um, I love talking shop, as you can tell. But thank you, Hannah, Cassie, and Jade for having me. It was great thank to be you here. So I'm much. such a big fan of you guys. And uh, hopefully we can keep talking about uh, Power Pop and Boy. Uh, yeah. When, when I come to New York next, we're all going to watch Josie and the Pussycats. Right. Like, Drink, that's what's happening. Yes. So you can follow us at Folia Jade and Cassie Petrie. Also follow us at How I Got Backstage and I Got Backstage on Twitter. This episode was edited by Hannah Humphreys and produced by CrowdSurf with original music by Cody Falcosky.